In the year 1864, in the December of that year, to be more exact, James Murray, barrister at law, did a lot of grouse shooting. During the last few days of the season, he made several trips across the northern moors after the elusive and soon-to-be-prohibited birds. December. The wind was due east. The moors were bleak and wild. On his last expedition, the very day before the ending of the season, James Murray became hopelessly lost. The first feathery flakes of a coming snowstorm fluttered down upon the heather, and a leaden evening was closing in all around. The purple moorland melted into a range of low hills. There was not the faintest smoke wreath, not the smallest cultivated patch or fence or sheep track. The world had changed, become hostile, alien. Money shouldered his gun and pushed wearily forward on and beyond midnight. Wash Powder presents Beyond Midnight by Michael McCabe. I had a letter recently from Mrs. Z.P. Head of 7th Street, Parkmore, to Huntersburg, and she said, I cannot fully describe my utter delight on returning to the washing to find the stubborn stains of two months standing completely removed. I am so glad I discovered your product, Biotex. And now, Mrs. J. Longman of Cambridge, West East London, wrote to say, Just a word of thanks for your new soak and wash powder, Biotex. I find it almost too good to be true. I've just finished my first packet, and I washed all my baby's woolens with it, and they really do stay white. And what is more, they keep their shape so well, too. Once again, thanks for a wonderful product. I'm just hoping you won't wait too long before putting a large economy-sized packet on the market. Well, thank you, Mrs. Head of Parkmore, and uh, Mrs. Longman, for your endorsements. I, too, can endorse Biotex by making certain claims to you ladies, the most important of which is that with Biotex, the stubbornest, the very stubbornest things just vanish. Merely by soaking. Throughout the whole of the night, walking, there will not come a time when my limbs simply fail me. Walking in circles. Circles. Hello! Can you hear me? Here, this way, this way, here. Can you find me? Here. I'd almost given up. I'd begun to think of falling down and sleeping. I must have been walking in circles. 
Thank God. Thank God. What for? Praise me. What for? Over you, of course. I began to fear I should be helplessly lost. No. Well, then, folks do get cast away here about the time to time. And what's to hinder you from being cast away likewise? If the good Lord is so minded that you and I shall be lost together, friend, we must submit. But I don't mean to be lost without you. How far am I now from clothing? A good 20 miles, more or less. And the nearest village? The nearest village is White, and that's 12 miles to the side. Where do you live, then? Out yonder. I, I pray you, keep that lantern steady. You're going home, I presume? Maybe I am. Then I'm going with you. Oh, it ain't no use. He won't let you in. Not he. Well, see about that. Who is he? The master. And who is the master? That's not to you. Ah. Well, lead the way, please. And I'll engage that the master shall give me supper and lodging tonight. You can try. Go in. Who are you? How came you here? What do you want? James Murray, Barrister at Law. On foot across the moor. Meat, drink, and sleep. Mine is not a house of entertainment. Jacob! How dare you admit the stranger? I didn't admit him. He followed me over the moor and shouldered his way in before me. I'm no match for six foot two. And pray, sir, by what right have you forced an entrance into my house? The same by which I should have come to your boat if I were drowning. The right of self-preservation. Self-preservation? There's a foot of snow on the ground already. It will be deep enough to cover my body by daybreak. Hmm. It's true. 
You can stay here if you choose till morning. Jacob, serve the supper. Be seated. Your manners are excellent, my friend. But you're a very fine head. Like a poet. Kind of scientist you must be if this room's a, a telescope. Pictures. States and devils. Geological specimens. Microscope. And is that an organ there in the corner? Books. Books and more books. Enough to keep a clean man busy for a year. You might not speak to me about it. I don't even know your name. But dad, you look like a big from Beethoven. I wonder if you would consider it bad taste if I drew nearer the fire. On the table. I have only the homeliest farmhouse fare to offer you, sir. Your appetite will, I trust, make up for the deficiencies of our larder. Ham, eggs, bread, and what appears to be a bottle of excellent sherry. My friend, I can think of nothing better. Thank you. Thank you a thousand times, thank you. You will preserve my life. Please be seated. Put the food upon these dishes be poisoned, I wonder. But if I cannot help it, at least I shall expire with a full stomach. meal I've ever tasted. Thank you. To have cast away on a desert island in a storm, a glass of uncontaminated water and a crust would seem manna from heaven. I have lived here in semi-retirement for three and twenty years. During that time, I have not seen as many strange faces. I have not read a single newspaper. You are the first stranger who has crossed my threshold for more than four years. Will you favor me with a few words of information about the outer world from which I have been parted for so long? Interrogate me, sir. I am heartily at your service. My inquiries will relate primarily to scientific matters. If you are not a student of science, no matter. Answer to the best of your ability. More and more skeptical of all that lies beyond its narrow radius. Show me any fact in physics. In history, in archaeology, which is supported by testimony... I believe he has forgotten my presence. Attested by all races. There is a brilliant man. A man of vision, spurned by his contemporaries because of his greater knowledge. A man born out of his time. If it were not for my poor dear wife waiting for me anxiously, I swear I could listen to this man all night long. Branded as a visionary, held up for ridicule for my scientific beliefs. Rooted from that field of science in which I'd labored with honor for during all the best years of my life. These things happened just three and twenty years ago. Since then, I have lived as you see me living now, and the world has forgotten me. And I have forgotten the world. And, Arthur, you have my history. It is a very sad one. But it is a very common one. I have only suffered for the truth, as many a better man has suffered before me. You shall have more sherry. Pray, why do you look suddenly so anxious? I was thinking of my wife, my poor little wife. We've only been married four months and she'll be waiting for me, watching for me, not knowing anything about my fate. I promised you, see, that I should return before dark. Yeah. 
Oh, if only it were possible. But no, it is impossible. Walk 20 miles across the moor, even if I could find my way. Walk 20 miles? What are you thinking of? My poor wife. She'll be breaking her heart with suspense and terror. Where is she at this moment? At Dwelding. At Dwelding. Yes, it is true. The distance is 20 miles. Are you very anxious to save the next eight or ten hours? So anxious, I would give ten guineas at this moment for a guide and a horse. Your wish can be gratified at a less costly rate. The nightmare from the north, which changes horses at Dwelding, passes within five miles of this spot. It will be due at a certain crossroad in about an hour and a quarter. If Jacob were to go with you across the moor and put you onto the old coach road, you could find your way, I suppose, to where he joins the new one. Easily, gladly. Hmm. The snow lies deep. Well, it's a glass of Escobar before you start. There are pleasanter journeys than the one you are contemplating this night. James Murray drank the spirit, and it went down like fire, liquid fire, and took his breath away. There was more than one instance during the next two hours or so when he wished fervently that he had stayed with the self-exiled man of science, rather than take the path through the snow to the old coach road at night. Yet I cannot remember such bitter cold. Not a single star. Your master is a very eloquent man, Jacob. A brilliant man. Deep. Uh, walking is difficult, to be sure. How much further to the coast, sir? Hmm? Yeah. Those hours of talk from the master, walking with a servant, is like attempting conversation with a tailor's dummy. Your road. Keep the stone fence to your right hand, and then you can't trail them away. This then is the old coach road. Aye, it is the old coach road. <sighs> and how far do I go before I reach the crossroads? Nigh upon three miles. The road's a fair road enough for foot passengers, but was over steep and narrow for the northern traffic. You'll mind where the parapet's broken away. Close again the signpost. It's never been mended since the accident. Accident? What accident was that? Hmm? Jacob? Beg pardon. What accident? The night mail pitched right over, down into the gully below. A good fifty feet or more. Just the worst bit of road in the old country. Oh, horrible. Were many lives lost? All. Four were found dead. Until the two died next morning. Not oh, terrible. How long since it happened? Jacob, how long since the accident? Just nine years. There's a signpost is there. I'll bear it in mind. Good night, Jacob. Good night. And here. 
Thank you. I'm deeply obliged to you. Good night, sir. And thank you. Lonely. Lonely somehow. As if... As if I've been deserted by the last man in the world. Feet. Ice. What is it I'm Some gigantic out. He's coming back again. The fire. No. There's a second light. Parallel. They must be... They must be carriage lamps. Must be pilot vehicle. But what would be out on a night like this? Yes, it is some coast or the other, but this is impossible. It's coming on fast. Can't hear a sound. The snow. Looks certainly was, bore down upon Murray. Came around a bend in the road and came towards him fast. Guard, driver, one outside passenger, four steaming greys. The lamps blazed like a pair of fiery meteors. Hello! Wait! Wait! Wait there! Help! Hello! Help! And the coachman pulled up. The guard, muffled to the eyes in capes and comforters, and apparently sound asleep. Neither answered Murray's hail nor made the slightest effort to dismount. The outside passenger did not even turn his head. Murray clambered inside the coach, and the coach started again, as noiseless as ever. <sighs> Seems as cold in the coach as it was outside. Mm, three passengers only. And welcome. You were. This is scarcely the friendliest part of the world, I've been How intensely cold it is tonight. The winter seems to have begun in earnest. Most friendly. He heard me. I know he did, for he turned his eyes upon me. Damp. Most disagreeable. Snowy here. It's quite like ice. It was warmer than I dare. My father. Down, could hardly let in more cold than is already present. Have you any objection to an open window? I said, have you any objection to an open window? Very well, then. I take it you have none? Rotten! Quite, quite rotten! This window! I'm sorry, excuse me. This window is covered with mildew. Have you noticed? Anybody? Have you? The whole coach is in the very last stages of dilapidation. Decaying. Look. It's hardly safe, is it? How can it possibly be safe? Why, the old machine is quite foul and... It must have been dragged from some outhouse somewhere. It must have been mouldering away for years. Quite deplorable. The 
regular mail. I suppose it's under repair. Yes? The passenger to which James Murray addressed this last remark turned slowly and looked at him. Murray knew that he would never forget the sight of that face as long as he lived. He turned cold at heart under its scrutiny. The eyes glowed with a fiery, unnatural luster. The face was livid as the face of a corpse. The bloodless lips were drawn back as if in the agony of death and showed the gleaming teeth between. Murray turned to his office now. He too was staring at him with the same startling pallor in his face and the same stony glitter in his eyes. What are you? What are you? And then Murray realized that none of the passengers in that coach were living men, not living men as himself. A pale, phosphorescent light, the light of secret action, played upon their awful faces, upon their hair, dank with the dews of the grave, upon their clothes, earth-stained and dropping to pieces, upon their hands, which were as the hands of corpses long buried. Only their eyes, their eyes, their terrible eyes were alive, and those eyes were all turned menacingly upon James Murray. In that single instant, brief and vivid as a landscape beheld in a flash of summer lightning, he saw the moon shining down through a rift of stormy cloud, the ghastly signpost rearing its warning finger by the wayside, the broken parapet, the plunging horses, the black gulf below. Then the coach reeled like a ship at sea. Then came a mighty crash, a sense of crushing pain, and then... Darkness. Brilliant. A man like that, exile, fine food, ceased snowing, ceased snowing, ceased snowing, ceased snowing now. Hopeless. Walk twenty miles across the, across the moor, across the where is it? Golding. Golding? Golding. Oh, the sound of him. Across the... Who died next morning? Twenty miles. Across the... Sound across the... He fell. He fell. Close against the junction of the old coach road and the new. Oh, thank God you were saved. Thank God. You must have lain for so long, you know. No. They found you at daybreak. Two shepherds. The letter in your pocketbook showed your name, and I was summoned. You were so long in danger. So long. So many days, weeks. The surgeon said you had dreamed in your delirium. Such a frightful dream, my love. Such a frightful dream. Oh, James. My darling, safe now. Graves. Others may form what conclusions they please. I know that I was the fourth inside passenger in the Phantom Coach. <laughs>